I'd like you to open your Bibles up to the Gospel of John. We're going to be in chapter 4. As we are continuing, we're actually finalizing our sermon series that has been focused on the woman at the well. We are in a, a, an overall series that will take us quite a while that we started back in December that is looking chronologically at the life of Jesus from his birth to his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension back up into heaven. And for the last three weeks, we've been studying this story, and we've come to our final sermon in this series before we start moving into our Easter series that will start next week. This week we're looking at what happens when people bring people to Jesus. We saw last week what happens when Jesus brings people to Jesus. and We, we saw that, that He addresses our sin and He addresses our worship. And this week we're going to see people bringing others to Christ. When I was a kid and I was in first grade, I was in Mrs. Ogilvie's class, and there was, up above the chalkboard, there were shapes, and everyone in the class was divided into a group that corresponded with a shape. You had the green circles, you had the purple square group, you had a yellow triangle group, we had the blue diamonds and the white rectangles. And everyone was in one of these groups. And what would happen is, throughout the weeks, one of these groups was taking care of certain projects around the class. Maybe this group would be the line leaders, or, or they would take care of the, the hamster in the classroom, or they would bang out the chalkboard erasers. Remember those? You'd go outside and... Bang those out. See, kids this day, they miss out on those. You can't really bang out dry erase markers and get the, the as big effect as a cloud, right? But I'll tell you, in first grade, the most exciting time during the week came after lunch on Thursdays. Didn't matter what great group you were in, when it was your week to shine after lunch on Thursdays was just an amazing time because that was show and tell. That was the time that you were looking forward to all week long when it was you knew it was your time coming up this week. You would look around your house for amazing things to go in and, and show to your classmates. I remember I was so excited about bringing my baseball cleats. And my mom wouldn't let me wear my cleats to school, so I had to take them in a box and show them my cleats. But I was, I was just amazed and excited all week long. And the next time that it was my turn up, I, I would show everyone my baseball glove. And in first grade, those things are really cool to all of the other kids. Some kids during show and tell would do more telling than they would showing. We would have some kids that would tell you things like, I've got a new baby brother or sister at home, right? Sometimes maybe one of our classmates lost a grandparent, and that would be their show and tell. When, when you're six years old, this is such an important time that, that you're getting up and connecting with others in your class. I'll tell you, one of my favorite show and tells is when somebody would bring in a box of puppies. Like, and, and maybe sometimes a mom would bring in a box of just baby kittens. Or back then, on a birthday, mom's got to bring, they actually got to bring homemade cupcakes. You can make them at home. Wasn't that awesome show and tell? It was the best ever. It was, it was better than first recess. It was better than lunch. It was better than the bag of popcorn 
that you get at lunch on Fridays. It was the experience of that joy that we get when you first get to stand in front of your class and show others and tell others. And that's the same joy that we have when you come to Jesus that you want to tell other people about what Jesus has done for you. Amen? The sermon series is called It's All About Jesus. And we've come to this point when we're in Samaria. And Jesus is having this conversation with a woman at the well. We've learned that she is an outcast in her own town. We, we have learned that she has had five marriages. She's on at least her sixth guy. The women in the town don't even hang out with her anymore. She's an outcast. She's, she's not high class in her town at all. But this is the person that Jesus is talking to. Turn with me to John chapter 4. We're going to be in verse number 28. In verse 28, John writes this, The woman left her water jar beside the well and she ran back to the village telling everyone. Okay, so she's just met Jesus. They have had a conversation. Jesus told her that he is, uh, that, that he has everlasting water, that he has living water. And then Jesus told her everything about her life. And she is amazed. Watch. She's running and telling everyone, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Let's jump right into this. Point number one in your notes this morning. For those of you just joining us on the left-hand side of your bulletin, you'll find some fill-in-the-blanks right there, and I'm going to give you those fill-ins right up here on the screen. Point number one, when people bring people to Jesus, we start to show and tell enthusiastically. As Christians, that's our job is to go and show and tell. But when somebody comes to Christ, there's that deep urge that I want to tell somebody else. When I was a junior in high school, there was the first day of school. Typically, you, you come back. You come back from school and or you come back from your summer vacation and at least one of the teachers is going to ask, what did you do over the summertime? I know that there was one kid who comes to mind, his name's Patrick, and he was one of the most popular kids at school. We're talking uh, football star, prom king. He, he is the top of the social status ladder in our junior year of high school. When it came around to him, what did you do the, this summer? He stands up and he says, this summer I met Jesus Christ right in front of his class. Wow. He was so touched by what Jesus had done that even with the ridicule that you might get in high school, he didn't care. He was going to show and tell. Watch this woman when she leaves to head back to the town. The Bible says that she drops her water jug and she starts running. She's not walking back. Why does the Bible say that she drops her water jug? Why is that important? Well, this isn't a water jug like a one-gallon like water bottle. In, in, the, in the Greek language, this is the same type of a water vessel that Jesus used in Cana to put water in at the wedding. These are, these are tall water canisters that she would have been carrying. It's a chore. She dropped it because it's going to slow her down. And she dropped it because she's planning on coming back. 
She has every intention of coming back and getting it, but it's not necessary right now. She's going to drop it and run. She has something so important to say, so important to tell everyone that she's running enthusiastically. She left to bring people. When she got there, the King James Version says that she spoke to men in the town. She told the men. I think it's interesting because the men of the town would have known this woman to have an unfavorable reputation. She certainly wouldn't have been somebody that you would have put a lot of faith and trust into. The men started walking out to meet Jesus because apparently their curiosity led to them to make a determination of her story on their own. She knows if she were to tell them that, hey, I found the Messiah probably wouldn't believe her due to her past. That's why she has a question in the way that she had stated this. She says, I met, I met somebody. Could this possibly be the Messiah? There's a question mark in there. She knows, but she can't tell them. They need to find out for themselves. These men need to investigate. It was about 15 years before the discovery that the work actually uh, began. A gentleman by the name of Howard Carter, an archaeological mastermind and, and, and a great who, man who we would know his name today, he had these methods of just pulling treasures from the sand. It was November 26th of 1922, and he was working with a chisel out in the dirt. And this is chisel that his grandmother had given him for his 17th birthday. And he's there with his daughters, and there's others in attendance when when he's chiseling this tiny breach in the left-hand corner of a doorway in the desert, and he's holding up a candle to see what he can see through here. And people behind him looking over his shoulder, and they say, can you see anything? And he says, yes, wonderful things. See, Carter had just discovered what was previously designated as KV-62, and now is known as the Tomb of King Tut. That moment was discovery. That moment began an enthusiastic telling of what was just found. Everyone, for the, for the next generations, for generations, we all know that story now. We all know who King Tut is. We have seen on at least television and in photos and on the internet, and some maybe have gone to exhibits in person. We have seen these treasures. There's a show and a tell. There's excitement about what was just found. I want you to see this. Look what, look what Jesus says in, in Luke. He's talking about finding something. Luke chapter 15, verse number 3. He says, so Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for that one, that lost soul, until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice! Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Verse number 8 says this, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? 
And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I found what I have lost. In the same way, there's joy in the presence of God's angels whenever a sinner repents. See, when we tell people about Jesus, when we've learned, when, when we have this, this, just this power in our soul that we need to show and tell, we, we show and tell others enthusiastically. And that's what we can expect when others come to Christ. This woman is so excited that she drops everything. She doesn't care about her pot. She doesn't care about her status. She doesn't care about her how far it is to her town. She doesn't care about her history. She doesn't care about anything except telling other people about Jesus. When people come to Jesus, they start telling people how their life is different. When you came to Jesus, there was a moment when, when you started telling people when your life, how your life is different. There's a sense of thankfulness and joy. There's some people here who, who I've seen your excitement through your life and, and through your prayer and the love and the joy in your words and, and the fact that you just, you're soaking up all of Christ that you can get just so you can be so close to the Father. There's an excitement that comes with, with those early years in Christ that sometimes people who have that are going to be helpful to some people in the church who may have misplaced that joy. Would it be fair to say sometimes we go to church and we go to church and we just go through the routine year after year and Sunday after Sunday? And sometimes that joy can be lost because we might not be nourishing well enough, right? That's where that excitement from those who have just come to Christ, wow, that can just touch our souls and remind us how powerful it was and how powerful it can be. Come back with me into John chapter 4. Meanwhile, back at the ranch. So, back at the well, okay, we've got all these people who were on their way. The city's on their way out to the well. The disciples are now at the well with Jesus. Read with me John chapter 4, we're in verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food that you know nothing about. Did somebody bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest? But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. You know the saving, the saying, one plants and another harvests, and it's true. I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. I can almost see Jesus pointing the disciples at that group of people that are running toward them right now and saying, look, look at the harvest. Here it comes. Be ready for it. It's amazing how Jesus can turn a worldly conversation of food into a gospel conversation, right? Write this down, point number two in your notes this morning. When people bring people to Jesus, new believers are introduced to biblical spiritual nourishment. 
When people bring people to Jesus, new believers are introduced to biblical, spiritual nourishment. That's what Jesus was talking about. He sat down at the well when they first got into Samaria, and the disciples, they left him by himself and they went into town to buy some food. While Jesus is there by himself, a woman shows up and, and Jesus and this woman have a conversation. Then one of the disciples come back. This is kind of interesting. So the, so the disciples come back. As soon as they get back, the woman's like, she's out of here. She starts running. And, and they had to have been like, you know, what was that? What was that all about? You know, here's this woman who was here talking to you. They didn't ask any questions. The Bible said they, they didn't ask any questions. And basically, disciples come up and like, hey, Jesus, we just got back from town. We brought you some Taco Bell. And he's like, dude, I've got food. Who brought him Taco Bell? You know, no, no one's been to town. Nobody brought him any food. That's not what he was talking about. He's talking about spiritual food. He's talking about spiritual nourishment. Jesus says, my spiritual health, my spiritual nourishment. He says, the spiritual food to my soul is, watch this, doing the will of the Father. That's what nourishes the soul of Jesus. You say, how does he keep going? How does he not fall into depression? Because his soul is nourished. He's feeding it by doing the will of the Father. Doing his will, honoring the Father, obedience to the Father. It's a spiritual diet of sense. There are certain diets that we've all been on. See, what's the newest diet fad? There's a... I don't even know what the newest diet fad is. It's, no meat? What is it? Keto? Okay. So we've all, we've, we all know of different diets, right? There's the, there's the Atkins diet. The, but, and, and then you watch TV and, and you see these... Um, they'll say, oh, these are vitamins. These are uh, brain nutrients. Vitamins for your brain. Oh, take this. This is good for your kidney health. This is good for your liver health. Oh, take this. It's good for your eyes, right? I don't know if I've ever watched late night television and seen an infomercial that said, uh, um, buy this, take this. It's good for your soul. But Jesus does, right? Yeah, he tells us, here's a plan. Here's a diet that is spiritual nutrition. It's, it's what Jesus took. To heal in our lives. See, remember, Jesus is human as well, right? So, He's nourishing His soul. We have souls. If Jesus nourishes His soul with doing the Father's will, wow, that would be a great soul diet for us, right? That That's being obedient to God's will in the times that even we think that we can't. Sometimes we think, oh, I, can't, I, can't, I can't tithe. But when we do and when we're obedient, that is nourishment that comes with that, right? There's like, you know what? I'm putting my faith in God. I'm putting my trust in Him because I know it's hard. That's physically and worldly hard. He, he can overpower that, right? But that's the spiritual food. It's when we're obedient, when we're in prayer, when we're when we're in our Bible, 
It, it fills our soul. It's these vitamins that we need for our spirit. It's that regular diet of God's Word, spending time with Him, spending time in prayer for other people, spending time asking, spending time giving, and spending time being still. It's spiritual nutrition for our soul. Isaiah writes this in Isaiah chapter 55. He writes, Come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affairs. See, here's where this worldly saying of you are what you eat really comes into a spiritual play right here. It really does. Watch this. We're in Deuteronomy 8.3. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Isn't that amazing? We don't live on spiritual bread alone. We don't live on physical bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Where do we hear the words that come from the mouth of the Lord? We hear them and we see them in the book, right? They're in the book. He gave them to us. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse number 3, it says, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us, watch this, His very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. We sustain spiritual life by taking part and ingesting the bread of life by taking part of the promises of God, the heavenly manna, the living water, and the love of Jesus. That is nutrition for our soul. The people of the town are on their way back to meet Jesus. And the disciples are there as well. Let's come back. We're in John chapter 4, verse number 39. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. Verse 40, When they came out to see Him, they begged Him to stay in their village, so He stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear His message and to believe. you see the power of the testimony of this woman? She is turning her entire town to Christ or at least enough people in her town to where the message can be spread amongst the others that didn't come out. But when she goes and talks to the men of the city, she's talking to the higher status people. She's not of that higher status. But here's a really important point when it comes to people Telling others about Jesus. Point number three in your notes this morning, when people tell others about Jesus, we must be willing to stay. We must be willing to stay. The people of the town, they knew that what the woman had told them was true. They knew her testimony was true. And she was being honest with them. They came 
they met Jesus and they realized this is the Messiah. This is the one. And then they asked Jesus to stay. Would it be fair to say if Jesus came here to our church service that we would probably ask him to stay too? Yeah? You're like, hey, can you, can you stay for lunch? A little? Wait, can you stay for a week? Can you just stay here forever? Right? But Jesus said, I've got to go, but I'm going to stay two days. It's a, that was enough time. He needed to stay long enough for them to know exactly and to realize who he is. As Christians, when we're bringing others to Christ, we can't look at it as like Christian daycare. Like, hey, I'm going to tell you about Jesus, this man who lived and he forgave you for your sins. Here's a Bible. I'm going to drop you off at church. I'm going to work. I'll see you later. You know, that, it's, it's not Christian daycare, right? If we're the ones bringing them to Christ, it would be fair to say it would be very helpful if we were to kind of stay with them, right? That we were to stay along. That we were to be there to be that continual testimony for people. If they're interested enough to listen to, to you and to me, and they're interested enough in to examine the truths and to see for themselves, and they come to realize, you're right, that is the Messiah. Jesus is my Savior. We need to be there, right? We need to be there. It's like babies need their mother. Well, Baby Christians need a group of Christians parenting them, amen? They, they need us. I know there are some young Christians here today. And I hope through, through our church and through our phone calls and through our Facebook page and through our fellowship that, that you have found a, a solid group here that you can rely on and that, and that we can come together and, and we can all fellowship and grow together. The Christian life is not one to be done in solitude. The Christian life is meant to be done together. It doesn't really matter what tribe you're from. It doesn't really matter what your status level is. And just like the Samaritans who were looked as... From the, from the Jews that lived at the north and the south of them, the Samaritans are looked at as half-breeds. They're looked at as very low-end status. Jesus still has grace for them, right? There is not a single person who Jesus doesn't have a love for and doesn't want to reach. When you come into His glory and it just overwhelms you, now there's a testimony from, let's face it, you and me, Sinful like this woman who could go and tell an entire town about Jesus, right? There's people who look down on us. There's maybe somebody you know in political positions, maybe a community leader. Maybe you know somebody who's the president of their HOA or is the leader of the apartment complex and kind of has some sort of a status. And like, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not as good as them. I'm much slower. You know what? Jesus can use, He can use those with absolutely no status to bring down walls, mountains, temples, and to break hearts. He can use people 
who look at themselves and have no confidence in, in who they are. He can look at people who are just regular folks to bring the message to those leaders in the world, to bring the gospel to the leaders in the world. There is no person that another person can't reach with the gospel. It doesn't matter who they are. And it doesn't matter who we are. Social status is irrelevant when it comes to telling people about Jesus. Amen? We're in John chapter 4 and verse number 42. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard Him ourselves. Now we know that He is indeed the Savior of the world. Point number four in your notes this morning, your last point, there is joy that comes to Christians when new believers get it. Ooh, we just used get it in your sermon notes. Yeah, there's a joy that comes to Christians when new believers get it, when that light goes on, right? Every parent has had a moment and the young life of a child, when that, wow, first steps, right? There's joy and excitement. Maybe first solid food. Maybe the first night she slept all night long. Yes. There's joy in teachers. When they have a classroom full of second graders that finally get it. <laughs> There is a joy in pastors when somebody we've been talking to finally gets it. There's a joy when somebody gets it. When somebody comes and says to us, it's not because of you said it. It's not because you taught me. It's because I've experienced the love of Christ and I know it's true. I've come down in prayer and He's answered my prayers. I came to Him in my depression and He was still there. I brought my sinful soul to Him and He didn't abandon me. I know how Jesus loves me. It's not because you told me. It's because I see it in my life. They get it. These men finally understood what the women were saying. And, and now they're coming into this relationship with Jesus. All the conversations that she has had in her entire life with her five husbands and her now live-in guy, whatever he is. All the conversations she ever had pale in comparison to this one. She had one conversation with men in her city saying, Come! Could this be the Messiah? I have found Him. Come meet Jesus. That is the most important conversation that she has had in her entire life. She changed her city. There's an excitement about telling other people about Jesus because there's an excitement when they hear you telling them about Jesus. Now I'll tell you, when we go into the world and we start talking about Jesus, sometimes others are going to get uncomfortable. We've talked a little bit about, over the last few weeks, the reaction of others. Uncomfortability? That's okay. Does that change the way that we, that we go out and tell people about Jesus? Can we stop because others are uncomfortable? We can't. 
Can we stop because they say, oh, I'm not really religious? No. That soul of this person that you either know or you don't know is going to spend eternity somewhere. I would much rather it be somewhere where I am. I would much rather it be somewhere where our Christian family is. I would much rather it be where Jesus is. We might be that person that didn't quit. We might be that person in their lives that didn't give up. That excitement should keep us going. Many of us here, many of us here have found the nourishment in the past. But if you haven't, I ask, I ask for you this week to try prayer. And I ask for you this week to spend time in your word. A Bible, you, alone, quiet. You, Jesus. That's nourishment for our souls. That's our living water. That's our bread of life. Our goal, our prize, is to hear others say, I get it. I get it. As we pray this morning, I'm going to ask you to be praying. I'm going to ask you to be praying for strength. Strength and wisdom and direction. Because there's someone in your life who needs to hear what you have to say. I don't know who that person is. You might not know who that person is. But I'm asking you to pray for God to point out that person in your life. And I'm asking you to pray for the strength to bring up that conversation because they don't know how it's going to go, but we do. We know what comes when they get it. We know that there's joy. We know that there's excitement. We know that they're coming to the arms of Jesus. And we know that there's a soul that just had their first taste of salvation. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm going to ask CJ to come up this morning. And if you're here this morning and you don't know, you don't know and you haven't known this joy that I'm talking about, and I'm going to ask you simply to come. In a moment, I'm going to pray here and I'm going to ask you simply to come. Because I don't want anyone walking out of this room today not knowing the joy of Jesus. I don't want anyone to walk out of here not knowing where they're going to spend eternity. If you're here today and your soul is, is down, and if you're just in a moment where it's hard to look up and see anything other than just gray sky, it might be time for a different diet. It might be time for a good amount of prayer, a good amount of time in God's Word, and a good amount of silence. And it might be time for us to focus on not ourselves and not our own will, not our own desires, but focus on doing God's will. Because that's where our spiritual nourishment comes from. That's what spiritually nourished our Lord and Savior. He's human. We are human. 
That's what nourishes our soul. Lord, I thank You this morning for this congregation. And I thank You for the people here who have come. Come in worship and come in fellowship and come in obedience, Lord. That we celebrate Your day together and we come together to to grow as brothers and sisters in Christ and to grow in Your Word and to grow in Your understanding. Lord, I ask that You reach into our lives and You find that person that we need to be speaking to about You. And You leave in our hearts the courage to get up and speak and to tell somebody the most important, most important point in all of life and hold that most important conversation. Lord, I thank You for people who aren't afraid to, to speak. And even those of us who, who may be a little bit timid, Lord, I thank You for having, for having what we need, the tools to, to give us. Knowing that You're there when we speak to others. Lord, if there's any souls in here this morning who don't know You, I would pray, Lord, that that they wouldn't leave this room without knowing that You are their Savior. You are their salvation. It is through You that eternity in heaven with the Father is possible. That our sins have kept us from You, but You have come and been the sacrifice for our sins. And we thank You so much. Lord, if there's a soul in here that doesn't know You, I ask for You to put strength in the legs of that person to rise up and come forward and so we can pray today and have a new brother or sister in Christ. Lord, we love You. And we praise You and we thank You. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.